Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. How about a cold one on the patio during a nice spring day? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. This is the GM Shuffle. Like all of a sudden, oh, after a quick replay, that's not a catch. Like, where'd that fucking come from? Where'd we get that from? Came from New York. I mean, where the fuck did that come from? Like, I didn't even see that. Like, what? Well, when did we get this? You're listening to the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. Here is Femi Abebefe. Welcome to another edition of the GM Shuffle with Michael Lombardi, presented by DraftKings and VSIN. I'm your host, Femi Abebefe. As always, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer, Elliot Bowman, with us on the ones and twos like he always is. And, Michael, we will get to the craziness from Sunday Night Football. Bengals, Ravens, what a game that was out in Cincinnati. But we got to start with what we saw Saturday night in Duval County. The Jacksonville Jaguars stun the Los Angeles Chargers 31-30. I know you've been champing at the bit to get into this one. Oh, man. It's been a game. Yeah. I mean, how do we even start this, Michael? <laughs> well, we start by we start by saying happy Martin Luther King Day. I, mm. I think it's important that we recognize Martin Luther King. I, I think it's important that anytime we have a holiday, we recognize the people that we're celebrating in honor. Uh, one of the greatest books I've ever read in my life uh, 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 was about the the hunt for James Earl Ray, the killer of Martin Luther, or the alleged killer of Martin Luther King, which I didn't realize took a hundred days to find him, uh, and they found him in London. It's an incredible book. If you ever have a chance to read it, it's well written. But you know, I, I there's a lot to learn about Martin Luther King. I didn't know his name was Michael King, uh, but was oh, wow. changed to Martin Luther after the monk from Germany that his father read about when he was over there, and when he came home, he legally changed his name. But the one story I want to share before we get going, it's very personal to me. Because of the Daily Coach Mm -hmm. uh, and my relationship with Coach George Raveling and all of us that are involved in the Daily Coach, Coach Raveling was a young graduate assistant basketball coach at Villanova. He had just finished his career there. He's from the D.C. area, and he and his friend were getting into coaching, and in that late summer day in August, they went down to see the friend and he went to see his family. And the father was a dentist. And the father said to these two young African-American men, are you guys going to go down to Washington? And they said, uh, no, uh, you know, we don't have any money. We can't do it. And the father said, look, it's going to be an important day for, for all of us. And you should be there and you should see it. And so here's my car and here's some money go down there. So the two of them get in the car, they drive down to DC, they rent a hotel room on the outskirts of town. And that morning they start walking the parade ground. And as they're walking the parade ground, they get approached by people from the, from the uh, parade. And they say, uh, you know, would you guys like to be security guards? 25 cents an hour, 50 cents an hour. Coach Raff says, sure, why not? You know? So they put them up on the stage and he's on the stage when Dr. King is delivering that speech, which no one realizes was never titled, I Have a Dream. It was a different Mm -hmm. speech. Dr. King would spend countless hours rehearsing his speeches and writing his speeches. And 
in the middle of that speech, Mahalia Jackson, who had heard the dream speech in Detroit a couple weeks earlier, says to him, tell him about the dream, Dr. King. And Dr. King launches into the I have a dream speech. Mm. But the story really takes a turn here when Dr. King is walking off the stage and co-traveling, young kid, asks him and says, can I have a copy of that speech, Dr. King? And Dr. King on CBS News, you can see him fold that speech in half, hand it to, to, to Coach Raveling, and walk off the stage. And Coach Raveling has owned that speech for most of his life. I think he gave it to uh, Villanova University as part of, uh, as part of his, his payback to the school. But to me, as we celebrate that day, I think mm-hmm. that story is worth mentioning. No, it's definitely worth mentioning. I'm glad that we started on that. The uh, the March on Washington, obviously, August 28th, 1963. And it's an important day to reflect on uh, Dr. Martin Luther King's legacy on a day like this. And, you know, with the, the times that we live in, it's like, hey, like this is like we've made progress, but we still have a lot more progress to go uh, as a country here. And I think before we even get into the football, I'm glad that you brought that up, Michael. Yeah, I think it's important we recognize that. I think you know, as you have to understand history. If you if you understand the past, it'll help you in the present. I think it's one of mm. my biggest pet peeves as we transition, and it's an easy transition. <laughs> it's one of my pet peeves with with Staley and McDaniel and some of these guys who come into the job with very little experience. They don't have an appreciation for the past. They they don't crave or gravitate towards understanding what happened. I think one of Sean McVay's greatest strengths is his love affair with the past through his grandfather. You know, through all that experience, he really has. He's become a historian. Belichick's greatest strength is the history of the game. I mean, he understands it. So when Doug Peterson lines up in that T formation that he ran, Mm -hmm. you know, Belichick could have launched into a whole dissertation on how the T formation came into play and, and what all that involved. I think you have to learn that. I think you have to understand it because if you don't understand the past, how do you react to the president? And that's part of my problem. And that flows right into Staley, like right into him in terms of that, that display on, sun, on Saturday night, which essentially, for me, he fired himself. Mm. It, 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 we'll get into Staley's future here, but I want to start with what we saw in the game because the Jaguars overcame a 27-point first-half deficit Third largest comeback in NFL playoff history that we saw. The Chargers had five-plus turnovers that they forced in the game, somehow still lose. Here's what Staley had to say after the game when he was asked about the collapse by the media. Anytime you're up 27-7 to at halftime and you've got four takeaways and you end up winning the takeaway margin 4 nothing, you know, it's going to be a killer. Uh, I'm hurting for everybody in that locker room. It's a special group of guys, and, you know, this is the toughest way that you can lose, you know, in the playoffs. Um, and uh, certainly with the way we started the game, that's, that's the team that um, I know that we're capable of being. And in the second half, um, we just didn't finish the game. And, you know, we're going to learn a lot from this. And, you know, um, unfortunately, this is the tough side of things. Our season's over, but um, I love everybody in that locker room. And um, this was a step for us, and um, we're going to grow a lot from it. Hmm. I, I, I mean, look. You know, I, I'm hurting for him too. But I think to me, you know, uh, where I have a problem with this game is what I have a problem with the Chargers pretty much from a design problem, right? So I often talk about football teams, there's a design and then there's a production problem. Well, there's been a design problem with the Chargers for a long time. 
And let's go back to what I believe are the elements to win playoff games, right? So your best players have to play their best. Well, he violated that by not allowing one of his best players to be on the field, Mike Williams. I mean, that's a complete violation. How can your best players play the best if they're not on the field, right? So that that's a problem. Second, you know, what, what you want to be able to do is you want a team with balance. And if you're truly a head coach and you understand what it takes to win playoff games, you know – you need to be able to have balance. You need to be able to not rely on just throwing the ball to win. So when he's up 27 to 7, or when he gets the ball back at the end of the first half, right? So he gets the ball back at the end of the first half, and, you know, he's up 27 to nothing. He has the ball back, and, and he starts, he's got the, the, with 311 to go in the game, he's got a chance to, to kind of take the game away. Plus, he knows. He doubles down on the football coming out the second half, right? So what does he do? He starts that drive off because he has no balance, because as I've been bitching about for, for, for the whole year, without a power running back, without a power run game, how are they ever going to be able to win a close game? All right? I mean, mm-hmm. I've been saying it. Like that, I love Eckler. But Eckler's like when you buy a great car, Eckler's like the enhanced sound system in the car. <laughs> he makes everything better, right? Mm-hmm. But he's not. He's a great player. I want him on my team. But he is an accessory. He doesn't drive it. He comes in, and less of Eckler is more of Eckler. So they start that drive off, right? So we're talking about a head coach here. Okay, first and ten, Joe, I would have said to Joe Lombardi, Joe, look, let's. I want to milk some clock here. I want to get this thing. I want to be able to we, – we need two first downs, and then we'll get into a two-minute warning so we make sure we go into halftime with the lead. Of course, what happens? He throws the ball. For, for an incomplete pass, stops the clock. Then on second down, he throws it again. He gets it incomplete, and then they have an aborted play, and then they got to punt it back. And then that drive, that drive, when they get the ball at the with the return, they get the ball. Uh, they get the ball at what the the Charger forty seven. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about that. He punts. They get it, and now on a short field, they go in at twenty seven to seven. Okay, all right. So we we had a we had a brain fart here. Let's go out the second half. We start out, and again. Again, this is what my point is, and the problem is, is he starts out now, he's got a 27-7 lead, so he's got to be able to say to Lombardi at halftime, look, Joe, we've got to be able to control this football. You know, we probably got to be able to have at least 15 first downs in this game, and we got to milk the clock. we got to take the clock all the way down. So they start the second half and a minus four-yard run, and that's essentially what happens to him. That run then created an imbalance of 25 passes to eight runs in the first half. Why? Because they don't have a running game. And so when they get a negative play like they did, Lombardi called nine straight passes. He called nine straight passes with 27-7 lead. I don't blame him. It's not – I don't blame him. Because this is, to me, that's the result. The problem is the production. Nobody in the building said, hey, we better make goddamn sure we can run the ball when we have to. Like, nobody said that or else they wouldn't have what they have as a team. To me, that's where they lost the game. And it's that lack of of ability to get those dirty yards, I think, that really showed its glaring hole, uh, glaring need right there for the Chargers in this game. And you mentioned the sequence before the end of the halftime where they punt the ball. I thought that's kind of where this whole thing turned. That third and one play on the it jet did. sweep where the ball was fumbled – if they get that, and I even tweeted about it, I said, man, this must not be the Jaguars' night. If they can't recover that, they, they, they're they not getting any bounces that go their way. But 
in, in, in a weird way, it actually did go their way because that forced the Chargers to punt in that situation, allowed Jacksonville to get on the board and probably feel a little bit better about themselves down 20 versus being down 27 there at halftime. But we talk about it all the time that you got to be able to get those dirty yards and close games out because all the fancy stuff can get you a lead. But if you can't close games out against good teams in the playoffs, you're going to leave that door open. And then Jacksonville came right through that door in the second half there. But on the Jacksonville side, Michael, this thing really was a disaster to start out. And, yeah. and, and and we'll get back to all the what the Chargers did in the second half, but on the Jacksonville side in the first half, Lawrence throwing those four interceptions. I mean, the game starts with an interception on the tip play. Bosa tips it. It gets picked off by Tranquil, I believe it was. And then it continued and continued and continued. When you were watching yeah. that first half, I mean, what was going through your mind seeing Lawrence turn the ball over possession after possession? I was trying to say to myself, can't we just get him a couple complete, settle his ass down a little bit? Like, mm-hmm. I, I, even the first two, I, I was like, okay, look, that was pass interference. I mean, that crew there that the, on Saturday night, I mean, look, let's face it. I mean, the crews were horrendous. Sean Smith was a disaster. I mean, not to be outdone by the guy who called the, you know, we'll get to this later, but the rough and the passer on the Giants. I mean, I thought they let them play. Like, to me, the problem with the NFL refereeing is when we watch playoff games, they don't look anything like regular season games. Bingo. Like, the contact, the physicality in the secondary is so different. I don't know how you do it as a coach. Like, you know – not to jump ahead, but that that it pass interference call in the Buffalo game. I forget. No, was it? In, oh, in the Jacksonville game. It's this game, mm-hmm. right? So I see so many games. So th- th- they call pass interference. Kind of, you think Jacksonville's going to get on track. They pick it up saying it wasn't. And then McCauley's in the booth saying, well, you know, he, he didn't make a play back for the ball. Hey, Terry, the guy, could, the, there was somebody in his way to make a play. <laughs> like, he couldn't make a play back. Like, that's 10 out of 10 times that's pass interference in the regular season. I don't give a shit what you tell me, right? They're calling that every time. And so the inconsistencies, I mean, I didn't know it. I mean, you remember the old Adams Family TV show where they had this mm-hmm. thing that came out, they called them Thing, his hand came out? Yep. Like, I didn't know the NFL had their version of Thing. Like, all of a sudden, oh, after a quick replay, that's not a catch. Like, where'd that fucking come from? Where'd we get that from? Came from New York. I mean, where the fuck did that come from? Like, I didn't even see that. Like, what? Wh- when did we get this? Like, when did we get this? Is thing here? Where's Matisha? You know, we got to get her over here. Like, are you fucking kidding me? This is dinner. I mean, I loved it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining. But where did it come from? I mean, like, where? Like, New York was. And then the announcers, the the announcers, like, I mean, look, Al Michaels could say whatever he wants, but. I mean, they were sleeping at the wheel. I mean, they yeah. were sleeping. If they they would if they could have gotten pulled over by the police, they would have. Al, you're not allowed to drive. You're you're tired. You go back. You know, like this is the greatest game of all. And we and, and Tony's over there. And Tony's saying, I don't know why Staley's under so much pressure. What Tony? Have you paid attention? Like, have you watched this guy coach all at all? Like, have you seen what he's done? Like, have you seen some of his decisions? It's a $7 billion franchise, and this asshole's going for it at his own 25. You don't know why people are pissed off at him? Yeah, there's a separate podcast for uh, the broadcast of that game. Oh, we can do a whole separate podcast on the announcer. I don't want to go there. But, I mean, I mean, where did this come from? Like, where did this guy come from out of the booth? We had a quick examination. and it, you know, All right, so I felt like we're talking about Lawrence here. I felt mm-hmm. like Lawrence, like – some of it wasn't really, but one, I just wanted to get them settled down. Yeah. Like, I, I, I didn't feel like, again, control and lead. I never felt like Jacksonville was not was out of control or 
the Chargers were in control. Mm-hmm. I thought, you know, they played on such a short field that they were given opportunities. And yep. I felt like, you know, the longer this thing went along, I felt like, you know, if they could convert some third downs and keep the ball, I mean, think about it. their first drive, they get a touchdown, they go 18 yards, right? The second drive, they go 12 yards, right? The third drive, they only have to go 16 yards and they get a touchdown. So they really only had like they had two drives for 10 points, basically, that that extended over. And I, I felt like that, you know, like if we could just get some first downs, we'll get back in this thing. And then I knew this, and I was texting with some people that, that night. I said, once it got to 27 to 14, Staley's asshole got as tight as it could be. I mm-hmm. knew this was coming, right? You could just see it. It's like when Doc Rivers is coaching the Sixers and, and they have a big lead and all of a sudden it gets cut to like four. I could, I, you know, I could see the sweat dripping down Doc's head. Like, it's over. Like, you know it. <laughs> I tweeted it was at 5.56 p.m., and I said, we're going to learn a lot about Trevor Lawrence tonight. True test of a dude is whether they keep firing or not after a horrendous start. There's a lot of ball game left. And that's what it felt like to me. I was like, this doesn't feel like the control thing that you talk about. The Chargers were never in control. Jacksonville never. just kept making the self-inflicted wounds. And then once that stopped, and then we saw Trevor Lawrence settle in. And I thought Doug honestly might have put a little bit too much on his plate early on. I was like, okay, Doug, this, so like, 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 this is his first playoff start. Like you mentioned, give him some easy throws, give him some layups, let him settle in, work his way into the game. But he was asking him to kind of like go from the beginning. And then I think Doug made the adjustment um, probably toward the end of the first half and then halftime, and then Lawrence started to settle down. I mean, get this, Michael. The first seven drives of Lawrence Saturday night, 5 of 18, 35 yards, four interceptions. Last five drives, 23 of 29, 253, four touchdowns. Like once he settled yeah, I mean, in, I, he was really the guy that yeah. we all expected. I mean, I take my hat off to the kid. I mean, the kid, you know, I, I thought his comment after the game was so goddamn good. He said, what choice did I have? Like, yeah. what choice did I have but to battle through it, right? Well, I mean, I get that, Trevor. You, you, you're a competitor. But there's a lot of people, Kirk Cousins, who would have <laughs> shriveled up. Like, there's a lot of people who would have shriveled up in that situation. Like, you know, like, yeah, okay. Of the sticks. I, I just think to – yeah, I mean, we'll get to that later. But, you know, I mean, like, like I just, that that really, that didn't, I liked the kid even more when yeah. I heard him say that. I thought it was sensational. And, and if you're, and, and to me, if you're, if you're the great Brendan Staley, who, by the way, on our network, there's some people on our network, just so you know this now, that think Staley is the greatest coach and he doesn't have a second. He does not have a second. Like, there's nobody better than him. This was last year. There was nobody better than him. And, you know, focus and all those analytical people think so too. If you're Staley, you got to say to yourself, we cannot, we cannot, we have to score in the second half. Like, mm-hmm. 27 ain't going to be enough. Like, we're going to have to get this to 40. If we get to 40, we win. Like, there's never a conversation about that. Like, like to me, I'm always thinking that. What's it going to take to win this game? I've always thought that my whole life watching games. Like, we're going to have to get to 40 to win. You know, now this game, if he'd have got to 34, he wins or whatever. But, like, to me, if I were Staley at halftime, I would have said, okay, we got to get to 40 to win. This next drive, I would have gone to Lombardi and said, Joe, this next drive is the most important drive we have in the, in the game. We got to put our five or six best plays together, and we got to get, we got to get points. We got to get, we got to be aggressive and get points. And what happened was when they lose four yards, as a play caller, when you, when your run goes from minus four, what do you automatically do? Nine straight passes. Yep. And here's why I know this. Again, this is why I think, as these guys search for head coaches, I think experience matters, okay? So there was a time when Sean Payton was a young head coach at New Orleans, when with Drew Brees, 
he had it so easy on third and four, throw wide stick. Third and two, spacing. Run all the basic shit and he complete keep moving the sticks. And when he got into playoff time, he didn't have enough fucking juice in his – he didn't have enough power. Mm-hmm. And through, I think, through a lot of Parcells counseling, I think Sean changed and all of a sudden, you know, he became tougher. He got tougher. There was, And so Ingram with Kamara, you know, I mean, they don't have their Ingram to Eckler. Like, Eckler would be better if they had an Ingram. If they would have – why wouldn't they have taken Lamont Murray – like, taken Murray off of the practice squad and, you know, wherever he was? Like, yeah. that's what they needed. They needed a big physical power back. No, I, I think that's a really good point there. Just the last point on the Jaguars' resolve, and we've seen this throughout this regular season. Jacksonville trailed by nine-plus points in each of their last five home games, and they won all five. They were down 17 against the Raiders, down nine against the Ravens, down 17 against the Cowboys, down 10 against the Titans, then down 27 against the Chargers, and they won every single one of those games. And that's why they're in this situation yeah. in the divisional round. Well, like you take Kirby Smart when he walked off the field against Georgia TCU. What did the first thing he said to the announcer? This thing's a long way from being over. This is the best third quarter mm-hmm. team in all. Like, do you think Staley realized what he was up against in the in the second half? No. Like with all that you just cited, do you think his team knew all that that we had to play at another level? And then, you know, by the way, your best players have to play best. Then he loses Carter. Now he's down another receiver. Mm-hmm. Now he's down another receiver. You know, and and it's the same thing. I, I felt like. To me, this is what we never get a conversation of is who's in the lead and who's in control. I think the entire weekend, other than San Francisco in the second half, I don't think you could say either team was ever in complete control of the game. That's why we saw the crazy games that we saw. Uh, the Chargers, it wasn't just what Staley was doing as a coach, but there's also the undisciplined moments from Joey Bosa. He was back out there, and, I mean, the helmet toss that he had. <laughs> well, that was my tweet. favorite moment I of the night. tweet about it. That was my favorite moment of the night. I, I mean, I, I mean – I mean, that was my fucking favorite moment of the night. I replayed that like eight times. Like, I replayed that. Like, I got I to see this again. Like, literally, he ran out there to pick up the kid's helmet, handed it to him, and he slammed it down. And people said, well, he just didn't want him to get a penalty. No. Like, do you – like, okay, ask yourself this, Femi. What coach, what great co- – would Lombardi have picked up the helmet? <laughs> would, would, would Chuck Knoll have picked up the helmet? Would Don Sh- – no, Leadership 101. Like, you would have gone to him and said, like, hey, you know, like, get after, like, calm him down. Yeah. I mean, that was my favorite moment. He picked up the helmet. Of course, we didn't even, nobody talked about it. I mean, look, I get it. I get it. Bosa was pissed off he was getting held. Now, I'll mm-hmm. say this. It's, nobody's mentioned it. But I don't know what the fuck Bosa said to Sean Smith. Yeah. But Sean Smith reacted. Did you see his reaction yeah. when when he fucking threw the flag on Bosa? Because players like, players say stuff to refs all the time, but but I don't know what Bosa because Sean Smith ran I don't know what he said. To, 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 to Bosa. It was like, hey, what are you what are you talking about? And then Bosa continued. What the fuck did you just say to me? And then yeah, he threw like, the flag. I, yeah. I would love to know that I, I would say that's probably gonna go under the 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 secret files, but mm-hmm. I would love to know what that was because he was Sean Smith's reaction to pissed. that was like Whoa, yeah, he was really pissed. Of course, this is shit we don't get to see. Like, I, I don't understand it. There's so much that the NFL gives the network so much shit to deal with, and naturally we just ignore it. <laughs> Maybe that'll be under the lost files, like you said, on NFL sounds or something like that. Somebody has a sound out there. Um, but, yeah, the Chargers, I think that the, the lack of running the football in that second half I thought was a glaring need. And also just 
just what, how they collapsed. It, it was truly remarkable. Jaguars becoming the first team to win a playoff game well, with a minus I mean, five turnover margin. I mean, I mean, all these people that say it's, you know, Staley and, you know, Tony Dungy, I don't know why he's under pressure. Has anybody watched his defense for two fucking years? It's Has anybody mad. watched his defense for t- – he's supposed to be a defensive guru. He's supposed to be a defensive genius. He's supposed to be a timely play caller. Do you see timely play caller in this guy? No. You know, like, like seriously, like these mythologies that we create, that the media creates about people because they have a good year, you know, or a good game. All it takes is a good game. It's and the mythology sticks. Like seriously, you know, like I think to me there should be like George Costanza should have been at the game because Staley should see George Costanza and say, every instinct I have, I'm going to do the opposite. Because that's what he should do. He should he could enter his channel as George Costanza because he every decision he makes is the wrong one. Do you think he lost his job Saturday night, or do you think he returns next season? I, I mean, I don't know how the Spanos family can. First of all, L.A. is a tough market, as you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not easy. I mean, do you think anybody's going to buy into I know what Herbert said about him, but at some point, you know, the worst thing an owner can be called is cheap. Yeah. And now they're, everybody says they should go after Sean Payton, but you know Spanos is cheap. Yeah, the, the owner I've, wants to be called cheap. I've heard that word a lot over the past 36 yeah. hours about him. No, and, and you can't tell me you're committed to winning and bringing him back. Like, you just can't tell me that. Like, it ain't going to get fixed. Now, I hear he wants to change offensive staff. I think he wants, you know, he wants more say in personnel. I, I mean, I think internally there's a lot going on in that building. Mm-hmm. You know, Telesco's contract's up. I feel bad for Tom because Tom's dealing with this guy, you know, and 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 who knows? I mean, how many games could they have won? I mean, let me just add, if, if – Peyton is coaching this team. Would he, they're the number one seed, probably. Yeah, they win the division. Because I promise you, they would have recog- Peyton would have recognized, i got to have a power run game if I'm going to beat good teams. Yeah, I, I think they win the division if Sean Payton's the head coach. And, and imagine what that would do for Justin Herbert's development. As good as he is now, yeah. you give him a coach like Sean Payton, I mean, he's going to be right up there with the uh, the Burroughs, the, the Mahomeses, and all those guys, and the Chargers could be serious contenders. But as of right now, they're just going to be kind of floundering around as a wildcard team that has a disappointing exit uh, this season. Michael, let's keep it moving, though, from wildcard weekend. Sunday afternoon, the New York Giants, big blue, stand up, man. They get the victory big over the blue. Minnesota Vikings, 31-24, the first playoff win for the Giants since Super Bowl forty six against the New England Patriots. How about Daniel Jones? It was a coming out party for Danny Dimes. 24 of 35, 301, two touchdowns, and 78 rushing yards on top of that. He was stellar throughout. Well-coached team. They were tough. They were everything we've said about this Giants team for much of this season. While they might not have the talent, they execute and they get put in the right positions to win games. Yeah, and I thought, you know, look, Daniel Jones played as well as he could play within the system. I I don't think... I think you got to credit Dayball and Kafka. I think by incorporating him into the run game, mm-hmm. right? I think by incorporating him into the run game really made that have a problem. Now, the seven, some of those runs were off of quarterback dropback passes, but him being involved in the run game made them a six-back offense, and, and really Minnesota had no idea, didn't really know how to handle it. Look, we know Minnesota's not very good on defense. I, I'm not taking anything away from Daniel Jones, but they're not good on defense, and he they they called a great game. Kafka called a great game. I mean, they called. You want to know about a play caller? The play call Kafka called at the end of the game 
where uh, Slayton dropped the pass. Yeah. It would have been a first down. They would have yep. sealed the game on that play. I mean, that's just a great play call. Knew what they were going to be in. Execution perfect. So, And then I think you got to look at what, what, what Sir Wink Martindale did. I mean, like, look, mm-hmm. I don't understand how this fucking guy can't get an interview, right? Jefferson's got seven catches for 47 yards. You know, like people are talking about Hawkinson had Hawkinson's never going to beat you. Nope. Nice player, never going to beat you, right? But when you walk out of there, when when Dalvin Cook has six catches for ten yards, six catches for ten yards. So what does that tell you? They took away all the screens and all the flat routes. So they took away all the easy throws, right? Jefferson, they took him away. So they put the ball in Cousins' hands in pressure situation. He didn't turn it over. But they knew he wasn't going to make a play. I mean, think he's thirty-one for thirty-nine, and he throws a check. He throws a, a seven-yard pass in the most crucial crucial play of the game. Ugh. I mean, I think it was just a great coaching job by by the Giants. It proves the point here that when you marry the system to the players, the players have a chance to be perform better. It doesn't mm-hmm. make them better than they are. It just allows them to perform to a higher level. I think that's a perfect way to put it. It maximizes the guys that you have on on the field there because a lot of people look at talent and say, okay, they don't have any good players. But sometimes players aren't allowed to look good because they're in bad circumstances. And you look at the Giants coaching staff from last year, the circumstances out there, they were not maximizing this thing. And Abdable in year one with Kafka and Wink Martindale, they come in and now this team is in the divisional round. I mean, how about the play on the defensive side? You mentioned Wink Martindale. Dexter Lawrence. At every play, it felt like he was in the backfield just sending Garrett Bradbury right into Kirk Cousins' lap Who was, every single play. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't happenstance, right? They they didn't think Bradbury was going to play. They thought the Chris Reed kid might play. But they mm-hmm. knew the matchup favored them. And what gives Kirk Cousins problems? Push the pocket back. This yeah. is what I talk about all the time is how to set up a game plan, how to strategize to win the game. Like, how do you strategize to win this specific game? Like, I, 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 we'll get to Buffalo and Miami, but that's my problem with Miami. Miami, the play calling didn't strategize how to beat Buffalo. Like, he was, and oh, you know, he was close, a 14 point dog. He's in the game. He did a great job. You know, like, no. Then we watch Dayball and the Giants staff, and, we're, and we can't, we were effusive with praise because they strategized how to play. This is the point. You put your best player on their shitty player. How complicated is that? And you push Bradbury back into the quarterback. And, and I'm sure there would probably have been eight more holding calls. I mean, that pass, that, that rough of the passer call, hang. I mean, that's an embarrassing call at that moment. That, that was pretty rough to, for them to call that on Dexter Lawrence. And it, hell, it might have cost the Giants the game. Luckily, it didn't because I think that would have been a pretty brutal, uh, brutal outcome if that ended up deciding what happened in this game. Uh, Minnesota, though, we talked about this throughout the entire season. Kevin O'Connell, he's banned here in the city of Las Vegas. The guy's got a horseshoe up. <laughs> he's got a horseshoe oh, up his ass. I thought he's gonna pull but, it out again. I thought, I thought, I thought he was pull it out again. I, I really after that roughing the passer, I was like, oh, here we go. Here we, we're gonna go to OT. They're gonna get the Me coin too. toss, and they're gonna go down the field and score a touchdown. But it's their first one score loss this season. Uh, they just didn't get it. They played with fire one too many times and got burnt. Well, they could. Uh, uh, okay, they could. When you're in that many one-score games, what does that tell you? You can never get control of the game. Mm-hmm. You can never get control of the game. It's a coin flip. It's like calling heads 11 times in a row when you hit. At some point, you're going to lose a game, <laughs> right? It's what it is. It's really like that. And when you're in one-score games like that, you never have control. What's it go back to one of my key points about winning playoff games? you got to have balance. And their imbalance was their defense. They, they just weren't good enough on defense. I mean, they couldn't get a pass rush. The Giants protected well. 
I mean, Daniel Jones had a lot of easy throws in the game. The secondary wasn't very good. Their whole team speed on defense wasn't good enough. I mean, they gave up 431 yards, and the Giants did exactly what they wanted to do. They limited – I mean, the Giants only had nine possessions in the game, and the one of the possessions was the, the last possession. They only had nine. Minnesota only had eight. This, is, this isn't by happenstance. This is strategic. Like, they went into the game, we're going to limit possessions, right? We're going we're gonna to milk this clock all the way down. They played how they played all year. They played – a playoff style, all 17 games, and and it worked for the 18th. I thought O'Connell, from a play-calling standpoint, was pretty good for most of this game. The way that he was using Jefferson as a little bit of a chess piece because Jefferson draws so much attention from the defense, and that was opening up things for other guys. But ultimately, in the second half, for Jefferson to only have one catch for four yards, I thought that was a little bit of, of an indictment of what they were doing offensively from the Vikings. But we got a last point on this game, Michael. The, the, the Cousins fourth down throw. Uh, uh, what did you see there? Was that the was that the only option that he had? I thought it's fourth and eight seasons uh, on the line. You got to throw at least past the sticks. Well, I mean, I think this is an important lesson. And I was talking to a former coach about this. And, and when, when you're in fourth down, you've got to make sure the quarterback, A, has enough time to throw it, mm-hmm. and B, you you you're, you're you get you you're going to throw it to get the first down. Like you can't just assume it's going to happen. And so when you go five out or whatever you do on fourth and eight, you, you don't take care of that. So you got to build yourself backwards. And to me, you know, I think that's 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 what happens is he got pressure inside, and the pocket kind of closed down on him, and he took his option, he took his read, and it was horrible. I mean, you can't make that throw. You can't make that throw. I mean, you just can't make it because there's if you fall short, you, you, the game's over. Lose, so man. yeah, I mean, I mean, but that that's cousins instinctively. I mean, when the I think a lot of this is too is when you put the pressure on him to perform, and you take away some of the easy stuff. Jefferson, you know, Jefferson's going to get all the attention in this game about taking him out of the game, mm-hmm. and certainly that was a tremendous job. But I, I think at the end of the day, Dalvin Cook having six catches for ten yards is really the story. Because remember, it's the same reason why the Giants are going to play Barkley. Barkley's impact on the passing game yesterday was significant. Yeah. That was that was another difference in the game. And Cook's impact in Minnesota's passing game is is why they paid him. They didn't pay Cook because he's a great runner. They paid Cook because he's a great receiver and he impacts that game. Like the screen he gets against the Colt the Saturday in the Park Colts, you know, and he goes <laughs> to the house with it. Like that's the kind of shit that that that's why you're paying him all that money. Because he's a weapon. And to have him have six catches for 10 fucking yards, to me, that's the signature of the game. And, and I think that's really why they won. It was a really imp- impressive performance, both sides of the ball, for the New York Giants. They get the victory. I mean, how does Martindale Vegas. not get an it's, interview? How does he not get well, somebody come all call and say, I, 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 I mean, like we're him, talking I about Zoom. I mean, we're talking about Zoom. I mean, all you got to do is put his, put his mug on a Zoom call. Like, seriously, how hard is it? I thought, he like, was, I, mean, I thought he was really you good. You know, Kafka got one. I mean, like, I don't understand the logic in the, this league. I, I, you know, I, I really don't. Well, but I do because people don't want experience. They want to mold the coach into what they think he should be. Well, I mean, it, only offensive coaches know how to nurture young quarterbacks. You know, that's that's the that's the rap on all these yeah, guys. Right. So, <laughs> Wing Martindale, unfortunately, is a defensive coach. So. I think that's kind of what's working right. against. But him. even though we know some of the some of the top ten coaches in the league are, are, are usually defensive, defensive coaches, coaches. Yeah. guys in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mike Tomlin. Do you think Mike Tomlin's nurturing Kenny Pickett all right? 
<laughs> yeah, all right. Like, seriously, like the guys that are in the Hall of Fame, I mean, like the guys who have won the most games. Nobody, that's what my point about ex- looking to the past. Yeah. That's how we started this block. Yeah, that's how it is. Uh, final game in this block, though, Michael. We'll go quick on it. Niners beat the Seahawks 41-23. to I thought this game was a little bit more competitive than what the score actually suggested there. I mean, Seattle had a 17-16 lead at halftime, and they looked a little frisky at half. I was like, okay, there, there could be something here. Purdy was a little shaky in the first half, but in the second half, Purdy started to make some plays. This Niners, just the depth chart of the, in the roster, it felt like they just overwhelmed Seattle in the second half of the game as the Niners end up getting a comfortable win, and they uh, take care of business. Yeah, I, I think, look, the best play caller in all of football is Kyle Shanahan. And, and when he had that moment where, you know, it's I think it was second and nine, and I said to myself, this is the most critical call in the game. Mm-hmm. And he he fakes the outside zone, and he gets 15 down the sideline, and yeah. Purdy kind of makes almost a bad throw. He almost threw it too close to the safety, but they caught it. They scored. That's when they got the 14-point lead. I mean, th- this – and Kyle, to me, I was surprised in the first half how much he threw the ball. He threw it 19 times in the first half. The second half, that drive in the second half, I mean, that's that's what we're talking about, a great coach, right? He went at halftime. He knew what he had to do. He got his team organized, and they scored, and that they sep- then they got control of the game. And, of course, naturally, the turnover helped. But, look, I, I felt like I-, I was misled a little bit about this game. I thought the weather, we were told it was going to rain and be pouring. Mm-hmm. Naturally, this is the second time we've got screwed on weather. So I kind of thought the weather would would, would help Seattle. And Metcalf played well. Look, they did. But but the longer the game went and when Seattle got behind, it just became too much. But it's a great story for Seattle. I mean, look, Seattle's not good enough on defense. They, they're they no. one draft away. They're one draft away, really. They need, one, they need a defensive line draft where they can really get some real studs up there and change the game. They're a defensive line draft away. And not having Jordan Brooks, which was never mentioned on the pod, on the show, like the only the leading tackler, they didn't have him. Nobody mentioned yeah. it, right? Like, why would you? Like, why, why would, would you? you? Not having Jordan Brooks, I think, really hurt them too. Yeah, their linebacker play was pretty damn bad uh, in that game, and those guys look a little bit confused. But it's not their fault. Those guys are just not used to being in those positions. We talked a lot about the Niners' offense last week when we did the Watch the Tape series, and we'll do another Watch the Tape this upcoming Thursday. The Niners' defense, though, they showed some cracks in the armor, I thought. Seattle made some plays down the field, and now this is starting to become a theme. We saw Stidham make some plays. Even David Blau in Week 18 made some plays down the field. So maybe something to to maybe keep in mind as we move through these playoffs here of what San Francisco can do. I think think it's the classic example of the offense allows the defense to dominate. When Mm. Kyle gets up by 14, the defense is different. Yeah, when you're when the fights when the fights in the uh, in the middle of the ring, you know it, it, it's harder, right? So they have to, and I think that's why. And 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 here's the other thing: all I love McCaffrey, but McCaffrey is a lot like what what Eckler, Eckler. should be. Yeah. McCaffrey's a lot like what he's the accessory. He if he were somewhere else, he's not. You can't run the offense around McCaffrey. He's a great feature in the offense, right? I mm. mean. And they have the best yards after the catch receivers and runners in football. McCaffrey's great. And the way he moves him around, he's got McCaffrey at receiver, then he has him at back. I mean, it's the per- it's what we talked about. And so, to me, let's not confuse this at all. San Francisco is really good on defense, but what's going to win for them is how they control the pace of the game with their offense. 
Final point on this game, uh, we, we haven't mentioned yet the, the rookie quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers, Brock Purdy, and and forgive us for that. We did not uh, give him the Joe Montana treatment like the studio crew did after that game. But Purdy, 18 of 30, 332 yards, three touchdowns. All jokes aside, I thought he played really well in the second half, made some plays. I mean, the best play that he made, I, I, thought, I thought, was the was... one that Ayuk dropped. Yeah. I thought he was I thought he was nervous in the first half. I didn't he think was. he was very accurate with the yeah. football. I thought they put I thought they were trying I think they should have run it more in the first half, you know, kind of keep him out of it. But look, I mean, the kids settled down and one thing about Kyle now, he gives you a lot of easy I mean, there's a lot of throws. Yeah. And this kid's good. He's got, you know, what, forty seven college starts. It wasn't too big for him, you know, and the way he scrambled out of the pocket, he makes the throw. I mean, look, I said this when he started the game. This was not going to be – if they lose, it's not going to be because he's just a rookie. I mean, he's experienced and he's getting more confident. Their offensive system is just really – I mean, you, you make a throw a slant to goddamn Samuel and, he, and, you know, who tackles the bastard? A lot of guys running wide-ass open, as we like to say in that Niners scheme. Michael, let's take our first break on the other side. We'll get to Sunday Night Football, Bengals, and the Ravens. The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. I mean, these second-round playoffs have been unreal, and we have the conference finals now on the horizon. Make sure you get all those futures bets in before the value disappears. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets in Instantly, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code SHUFFLE. That's code SHUFFLE for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available. For problem gambling, call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please pay responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Sunday Night Football, we saw the Bengals beat the Ravens 24-17. Cincinnati surviving that scare from their division rivals, Michael. But I thought the game really flipped, of course, late in the for- or early in the fourth quarter, I should say. 17 all. Ravens have the ball on the two-yard line. Huntley on the QB sneak decides to try to leap over the top, fumbles the football. Sam Hubbard runs it back 98 yards for the touchdown, and it was all she wrote after that. It was all she wrote. You know, I mean, look, I, I give Baltimore a ton of credit. I thought they would play. I, I recommended on the show Lombardi line to take Baltimore. I had it at nine. You know, it was eight and a half. You know, I thought they did a really good job of running their uh, academy offense <laughs> as well as they could. They gave Cincinnati problems. And look, Cincinnati's a wounded team right now. Yeah. I mean, they're a wounded team. I knew mm. they, they're the winner of the game. But I think they're going to be the loser of the of the playoffs because you lost Jonah Williams, the left tackle. You don't have your right tackle. You lost cap of the guard. Your this offensive line is worse than it was last year, even though they were able to overcome their corner situation. Isn't the same as it was last year. So 
I mean, they were able to survive it, and mm-hmm. credit to them, they made the play that they had to make. I, I don't know. I don't know whose idea it was. I mean, first of all, Baltimore on fourth and one, they're they're under they're not even under center. Like I don't yeah. know whose idea it was to sneak from the one and a half yard. Like that's a goddamn jump. I mean, you got to be Jim Thorpe to get over that one, right? <laughs> I thought it was too far away. Yeah, it was too far. But I, I think what bothered me most about this game. Huntley, I thought, did as well as he could do. What Mm -hmm. bothered me most about this game was when I was watching the two-minute drill in the fourth quarter. Like when when it was like watching Army or Navy try to execute the two-minute drill. I mean, what I don't understand, Femi, and I don't know why this is so hard, but why can't we have when a team is in the final stages of the game? Why can't we have how many plays the, the the computer thinks are left in the game based on timeouts? And put that number on the screen so fans at home can see how many plays are left. Because if they would have done that, when Baltimore when Baltimore gets the ball at first and 10, when the penalty was on the illegal contact on, uh, I think it was Taylor, right? Mm-hmm. I think it was on Taylor, right? So, so now Baltimore has the ball first and 10 at Cincinnati's 28-yard line. I, I, and I get Baltimore's intent here. We're going to score, and we don't want Joey to have any time. Yep. Got that, Okay. So first and 10, they throw a short middle pass, check down to Dobbins. They huddle. They fucking huddled. They went to a huddle. They got three timeouts. They went to a huddle. The next time they snap the ball, there's 34 seconds on the clock. They blew. That was a 40-second disparity in time. And so if the fans at home would have realized that they probably, you know, let's say they, they... they whittled away six plays, but at the minimum, they whittled away five. They gave up five key plays to a team that needs all the plays they can get. Right? I mean, like, I don't understand it. It, it, it. And then on second down, on second down with 29 seconds, they run it. They they get in. They get under center and run a lead play and get called for holding. Like, where did that call come from? What do we say about this podcast? Great play callers call the best plays at the right time. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what we said. Like, and and this offense looks like it had no way was it ever prepared for a two minute drill. Look, I get Huntley's not you know you're, you're managing Huntley and all that stuff, but this was really this was as bad of a two minute drill as I've ever seen by a team that's well coached. The strange thing is that every team practices two minute. Uh, and and it's like uh, the Huntley, I, I, I'm, even with Huntley there, Huntley's played enough games to where he can execute a two minute drill. I would I would hope. So I don't know why they were getting stuff in there so slowly. I, my theory on it was that they were planning to try to go for two if they scored a touchdown, and they wanted there to be no so time too. left. So I think they were like, all right, we want to absolutely make sure that Burrow cannot get his team into field goal range, and let's try to milk the clock but, down. But they they okay. only milk their own clock. I- I agree with you on that, but let me be devil's advocate to you. Mm-hmm. Like, if I were John and I was watching Joe, I was watching that offensive line couldn't block anybody. I would take my chances with 20 seconds to go. I would take uh, that Joe Burrow is not going to be able to get it going with no timeouts left. But they they did it twice, Femi. Look, they had fourth and one at the two minute warning. Fourth and one at the two minute warning. So that means they came over to the side, right? They had plenty of time, and so he runs that off tackle play out of shotgun. They don't snap the ball again to 125. They 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 go from there. They they take another 35 seconds off the clock there, so they lose 35. So in total, they gave up a minute five to just let the clock run. 
And and so basically they had 55 seconds to execute their offense the entire after the two minute drive. 55 seconds is all they were left themselves with. Like it made no sense. It, it really didn't make any sense there on that final drive. But the game, let's go back to that pivotal moment early in the fourth quarter, the Sam Humbert uh, fumble return. It's the longest go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter in NFL playoff history, longest fumble return TD in NFL playoff history. Just an unbelievable play that completely swung the win probability. I believe the Bengals were around 45 46% win probability. Then after that play, went to like 86%. So it was like a 40% swing there in win probability. And after the game, J.K. Dobbins was asked about that. I'm sure you saw the quotes, Michael. J.K. Dobbins talking about it. He, here's what he said when he was asked, saying that, quote, he was tired of not getting the ball and tired of being held back, said that Huntley should have never been in that position on the sneak. And then he added, which is the comment that's getting shared everywhere, quote, if we would have had Lamar, we would have won too. Now, he followed up and said that he was asked if he thought that would they would have won with Lamar Jackson played, and he answered, yeah, we would have won if Lamar played too. He added that Snoop had played a hell of a game, Snoop Huntley. But the, the, the decision not to give the ball to J.K. Dobbins was interesting after we already saw him kind of punch it in for a touchdown earlier in the game, and I think that is probably going to be what's criticized most in the Baltimore area. Well, I mean, I think this Baltimore passing game is an academy passing game. I mean, they run they run Air Force's offense, essentially. I mean, that's really bad. Even when they complete a pass, it's like, uh, you know, I mean, I love this one where, you know, like they complete the pass over to because they drop the coverage or they, blow, you know, run a double move. I mean, it's kind of, it's really so college basic, their offense. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I think, what do I say to begin? Your best players have to play their best. Like you want the ball in your best player's hands at the most critical time. That's why did the Giants win? Minnesota couldn't get the ball to Jefferson or mm-hmm. Cook in the most critical times. That's why they won. It's not that complicated, right? It's really not that complicated. Like why did San Francisco win? Because they got the ball to their best players when they need it. You know, they got it to Debo, McCaffrey, Kittle, right? They got the ball to their guys. Why did why did Buffalo win? We'll talk about that in a second. But that that's the key. And I, and I agree with Dobbins. I mean, like, you know, Huntley's, you know, he's not your best player. He's in there to kind of facilitate, not to lead the whole charge. And I thought the call on second and 10 from under center to run an inside zone, I get it if we were by the field goal. What were we expecting there? Like, I, that one blew me away. Yeah, it, it, didn't, it, it didn't make sense. I mean, Harbaugh did not call his second time out. He did not call a second no. timeout until 15 seconds were left in the game. And the clock was already stopped <laughs> when, he, when he called that he timeout. He did not call. That's right. Uh, it, uh, I expected much better from Harbaugh in that situation as a head coach. Obviously, the offensive coordinator who we've talked about a number of times, Greg Roman on this show, uh, it was about what we expected from that end of the thing. But the Ravens, though, three drives that ended up inside the five-yard line. You get a total of 10 points and then also give a touchdown to the Cincinnati Bengals with that effort there. Last point, though, and a lot of people are going to talk about Lamar Jackson and what his future is. The broadcast said that he was not at the game. Um, I know that's being made as, as a big deal. I think I don't I think the Ravens might have a policy where injured players don't travel. Uh, I think that's I saw some a tweet about that as well. So I'm not sure how much we should read into that. But uh, this is now going to become an, an interesting offseason here for this Baltimore team. Michael, real quick, your thoughts on the offseason on the horizon here for the Ravens. Well, I think there's. I think everything's in play. I think everything's in play. I don't think you could say they're going to sign them. I don't think you could say they're going to trade them. I don't think you can say they're going to. I think everything's in play. I think they're going to. 
Look, they're very tactical in what they do. They have a great PR machine in Baltimore. They're able to spin things in a way to where it's going to come out. I think they have to take a look at every option and do what's best for their team, you know, and do what's best for their team. And I think you got to do what's best for your team in every area, you know, because let me ask you this. If you trade Lamar, where are you going with this? I mean, at some point, is somebody going to say, we have no passing game. We might want to get better in the passing game. And let me – look, it's not because Bateman got hurt or this guy's not playing. Duvernay like, our passing game sucks. Like, it sucks. We have no passing game. Can we just have an honest conversation about that? Like, to me, there's more than – and then you got to lead yourself to Lamar. If somebody wants to give you three number ones for Lamar, do you turn it down? I don't know. I mean, you know, if somebody in that top five wants to give you that pick and a bunch of other picks, do you do it? I, I mean, look – I think there's a lot of desperation out there. I don't think there's a lot of courage, but I think there's a lot of desperation. Yeah, last note on the Lamar thing. Since he took over as a starter in 2018, the Ravens, with Lamar as a starter, 45-16. and 16, That's a 73% win percentage. With other starters, 14 games, 4-10. and 10, A 28 Twenty-eight percent win. Well, because their offense is so their offense is so catered around no passing game. Yeah. So they like they can't even go to the opposite of like when when the Eagles bring Minshew in. At least they have a passing game. Like they can't. There's no passing game to go to in Baltimore. Like the next guy's got to kind of run what they run. You know. And who can do it better than Lamar? Not many people can. No, not many can. Uh, it could be a really, really interesting offseason in Baltimore. Final game from the wild card weekend, Michael. Bills beat the Dolphins 34-31. Buffalo went off as 14-point favorites. They get out to the 17-0 lead. Nance and Romo are kind of doing the, hey, stick around, you know, maybe Dolphins can hang in there type of thing. And then the turnovers happen. And then we do get a game. And what a game it was. A lot of twists and turns, but the Buffalo Bills survive in advance. Yeah, I think Buffalo had their had their uh, Ohio State moment, and and not that not that Miami's Ohio State, but uh, if you would have told me that 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 Skylar Thompson was going to go into Buffalo and try to attempt forty five passes, I would have said you're wrong. Like to me, this is a design problem. Like mm-hmm. I know they couldn't run the ball, but McDaniel's. I don't know if you're aware of this. He's supposed to be the greatest run game guru in the history of run games, right? That's what I was told. You know, and so. And and you got to be able to control the football away from Buffalo. I, I don't understand Buffalo's offense anymore. I, like I've lost touch with that. Like it's either a three-run homer or we're striking out. Like I don't get it. Right? I don't understand it. I, I got to the sense watching the game. I wrote it in my notes. I think Josh Allen is a superstar talent. He just doesn't play like a superstar all the time. Mm. Right? Like he's just so erratic. He got sacked seven times in the game, you know, throws two more picks. Like, there's no rhythm to their offense. I never felt like, and some of the decisions he makes to throw it down the field, you know, and I I don't know. And look, the Dolphins, they go in there, and Thompson's, they have no run. I mean, you would have thought they would have come up. They ran for 188 yards the last time they played them. Like, why can't they run the ball a little bit? Like, can't we get it? Why wasn't Skylar Thompson in a six-back offense? If you're a run game guru and you have all this incredible ability to ha- to find a half man advantage because that's what the run game is, how do we find a half man advantage on one side? Then why aren't you doing it? Give the ki- why are you putting 45 passes on this kid? Why why are you doing that? Like you just knew it. First down run. I was sitting there watching the game. First down run. Okay, here come two more passes. I mean they were in 16 third downs. They're four for six on third down. Like. They gained 231 yards. I mean, and they're still in the game. People say, well, they're in the game. Well, they're in the game because they fucking turned the ball over. Yeah. I mean, they got the punt return for three. They got the, the the fumble for seven. There's 10 right there, right? 
I mean, think about it. I thought it was like a horrible design of, like, they went eight plays, 23 yards for a field goal. They went four plays, 13 yards for a field goal. They went four plays, 18 yards, and got a touchdown. I mean, like, seriously, like, like this is what you come up with? Now, you know what's going to happen. I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. Josh Boyle will get his ass fired. The defense coordinator, he's getting fired. Mm. All right, he'll get fired. Probably by the time we hang up this podcast or by tomorrow, they'll be looking for a defense coordinator. Because in Miami, it's all about, you know, and, and McDaniel makes no – McDaniel makes no – he doesn't hide this at all. He basically has told the staff, I run the offense, Josh runs the defense, and this Crossman runs the special teams. That's it. They're the head coach of those units. And it looks like it. That that's crazy. That there and like you've heard of those types of situations before in the past, but you still think the head coach still has his imprint on those it's, units of the defense and the special teams for them. To, you think he's got anything? He's gonna look. They've been looking for defensive coaches. They've been making calls throughout the league trying to find a defense coordinator. I mean, I'm not wow. saying that because I don't know. I'm saying that because I know. Like they're calling around trying to find a coordinator. They're calling around. I mean, Boyer probably Boyer knows. I'm sure he knows he's out of there. Damn. Right? And so, like, but but in, in fairness to Boyer, who I think plays way too much man and takes too many chances. Mm-hmm. I mean, like yesterday, he's sitting there, and this is to me would have been a fireable offense. He's sitting there, he's in second and fifteen. I mean, he's in third and fifteen. He goes blitz zero and they throw the deep pass over. I mean, first play of the game's digs, they just overthrow digs, mm-hmm. and then on a third and fifteen, he's throwing. He's back to putting Howard on him again, and and, and guess what happens? Oh, they caught a deep pass. But look, that's what's going to happen in Miami. You can write it down. They're going to make that change defensively. To me, I think the question is, you know, like they got a guy who's not a head coach. I mean, he's not. He's already he admits it to the staff. Like I run the offense, and so when people say, "Well, you weren't aware it was fourth down," well, I was relying on. He relies on everybody else. Uh, that's that's wild. Uh, I- and the fact that you said that he only runs the offense, my question then would be, why does the offense have so many procedural penalties? Now, maybe you, because put, he maybe you put that on, on Skylar Thompson, I guess, but it's like they couldn't well, even, they I mean, even like, get look, plays out. I know everybody's focused on that the delay of the game plan. The reason they didn't have any timeouts is because they couldn't get plays in. Yeah. Like everybody's like, he offers an excuse why I didn't know what down it was. What about the other ones? Like, I, I mean, like the guy, like, look, I, I mean, I know the media loves the guy. I get that. I get that. But, the, I mean, this whole notion that he was part of the run game in San Francisco, like, let's just put this fucking on the table, okay? Shanahan runs the run game, okay? Shanahan designs the run game. He calls it. Like, you can't attach yourself to that. There's no one like that guy other than his father, who was a tremendous too. Yeah. It's. I think that's pretty clear, <laughs> based on what's going on with the San Francisco run game and what's going on with the Miami run game. Now, the Miami run game had opportunities earlier this season where they were actually explosive on the ground, but they just didn't stick with those. Particularly, they in that finished game thirty second in rushing attempts, but, Femi. They yeah. finished thirty second in rushing attempts. They never played complimentary football to their defense the whole year, and you wonder why you suck because you you know you you never helped your defense out. You never called the game in a three dimensional way. Of course, why would you? You know, one of the things that's important to gain alignment in any organization is to do three things at the same time, and they'll have them all work together. Mm-hmm. That's football teams, right? It's offense, defense, kicking game, and so when you have perfect alignment, they all work together. But when you don't have alignment, it's in business too. If your customer service doesn't work with this area, at all, there's no alignment. 
That's what happens. And so when you have a coach who comes in and says, well, you know, look, for, I mean, I was told the first coaching meeting, you know, he made it very clear. Look, I, I run the offense. Josh runs. He's the head coach of the defense, and Danny's the head coach of the offense. We'll see you later, guys. Okay. Well, we'll see you in 2023 because their season's over, losing to the Buffalo Bills 34-31. to Michael, let's take another break. On the other side, we'll get to Monday Night Football as we wrap up Super Wild Card Weekend. Cowboys and the Bucks. Final game of the Wild Card Weekend will be in Tampa tonight between the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers right now at our show sponsor, DraftKings Cowboys. Two and a half point favorites, total sitting at 45 and a half. Uh, what a game this should be as we find the final piece of the eight-team puzzle oh, for the divisional round weekend. Listen to you. Listen to you. You're just you're possuming it, you and you and, and Dave Ross and 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 uh, John Goulet, all you Cowboy fans, you know, I got it on my wall over here. Bill Berman, the Cowboys lose, Peyton coaches in 23-24. Like, he's got it up here on my – I said, write it down. They're going to lose, guarantee. He's a Cowboy fan too, by the way. Oh, is you he? You know, okay. they're going to lose. I mean, oh, yeah, they're going to lose. Like, I think it's a perfect setup for them tonight. Look, I, I don't think Tampa's turned the corner. I think you could pressure, you know, to could Tampa uh, – can their offense get going? They haven't scored, what, more than 18 points all year? So this is a game that I think you can win. And I think if they manage the game correctly, if Mike McCarthy takes and becomes the head coach and limits that that Kellen Moore to not play the game in his basement and call ridiculous passes and not set up to win the game, I think they win the game. I took them. I, I laid the two and a half, and I took them. I know you, I know you took Tampa. Well, and thinking about this game – I thought about what you said earlier in this podcast and in playoff games and in big games, you got to get the football to your best players. And that's something that's been an Achilles heel for this Cowboys offense under Kellen Moore. I mean, think back to last year's postseason game against the 49ers. CD lamb, I think had like two touches. Tony Pollard had five touches. Like it was just bad. They were not, they were force feeding the ball to Cedric but, Wilson. And but he's going to be a head coach. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's getting interviews from Martindale's isn't, I mean, but, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, I would love to. I would love to go into battle with Kellen Moore as my leader. I would. Die. I mean, I could see him storming up, you know, uh, into Normandy. I could see that. You know, there's no doubt. Well, you know, he's going to nurture the young quarterback that you draft. So <laughs> that's the thought process. But yeah, it's it's a very nervy game uh, in terms of this outcome. But I'm with you though. With all that said, I'm with you, Michael. I laid the two and a half with the Dallas Cowboys because I think they're just they're just the better team. And the line tells you they're the better team. They're a road favorite, so we know that going in based on the numbers and also the eye test. I know Dallas has been a little bit shaky this past month. Earlier in the week, I was a little bit like, ah, I don't know, but I think that this is a matchup where Dallas, when a lot of people are doubting them, everybody's expecting the Cowboys to go one and done because that's what the Cowboys do in the playoffs over the last 25 years. It's been disappointment after disappointment after disappointment. And then you look on the other sideline, you see a seven-time Super Bowl champion in Tom Brady who does nothing but win in the postseason and win in the month of January. But I think Brady's a little bit shorthanded in terms of the talent that's around him and also the coaching staff. Uh, as much as I criticize Kellen Moore and Mike McCarthy, I think the Cowboys have the better coaching staff. I think they have the better team. I think they go in there and get it done. Uh, it's not going to be easy. There's going to yeah. be moments where I want to just throw my pen at the at the camera as I'm doing VSIN live bet tonight with Wes Reynolds tonight. But uh, I, th I think that it's going to be a happy ending here for me. I think Cowboys win this game 24-20, something like that. It's going to be a little bit nervy. Brady might make it a little uncomfortable for me trying to storm back in the fourth quarter. But I think the Cowboys hang on and win. Yeah, and I just saw online that uh, Dryan Jensen, the kid who got hurt this summer, was mm -hmm. activated. He's going to play versus the Cowboys. So maybe that will yeah. help him a little bit. But – 
I'm agreeing with you. I think if they manage this game correctly, plus they have an advantage in the return game, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I think that makes a difference too. So, uh, yeah, I like I like Dallas today. I think that they can, and I think Dallas, I think Dallas San Francisco would be a fun game to watch. I really do. I think it would be. I think Dallas, I think San Francisco Tampa would not be. We've already seen that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that one did not uh, go well uh, earlier this season. If the Cowboys lose, though, Michael, is McCarthy done? I don't think so. I really don't. Unlike Bill Berman, I don't. I don't that's not Jerry's modus operandi. Mm. You know, I don't think so. I think he's going to stay the course. I think he's, you know, I I, I don't see it. First of all, I mean, you know, do you think Jerry wants to pay all what it's going to take to get Sean Payton? Everybody thinks that, that, you know, like, read Mickey Loomis' comments. Yeah, that's old school, Jerry. Read Mickey Loomis' comments. Mickey said, hey, hey, the reason Jerry hired Parcells was he needed, he wanted that stadium. Parcells built his team and facilitated the, the stadium. That's mm-hmm. that's what he did for him, and 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 he and 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 I don't think everybody. I knew it when he did it. It was the smart thing. I I just don't see him paying multiple first round picks to to get Sean. I know he loves Sean Payton. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, why would Sean want to want to come in there and have Jerry pick the players for him? As much as they love each other, I agree. It doesn't seem like it's a good fit. For the two there, Peyton wants control. He wants to be. Yeah, I mean, in it's like it's like when that. best friends work together. Like yeah. it never works out. I mean, no. the best the best relationships in business, they'll tell you, is when you partner with somebody in business, is when you have the when when your families don't intertwine together. Because then nobody. What what is always the thing that creates problems in any relationship like that? It's usually envy, right? Mm-hmm. What broke up Jimmy and Jerry? Envy. Envy. Yep. Jerry was envious of Jimmy, and that break it up. So when it, when you when you create an envious situation just by natural instinct, it becomes problematic. You're better off separating it. Like I respect you, you respect me, but let's not have any. Let's not know that I have a summer house here and you have your summer house. Let's not compare them. I think that's a good way to put it. So if the Cowboys are losing, I'm sure you're going to get all the Sean Payton talk. Sean Payton's name will probably be trending on Twitter if the Cowboys lose this game, but I think that they're going to probably stay the course with McCarthy and back to back. Twitter would know. Seasons. I mean, Twitter yeah. would know. They're they experts. Would, yeah. They would know. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Let's take our final break. We'll get to the awards and also early thoughts in the divisional round with the three games that are already set. All right, Michael, before we get to the divisional round, let's hand out some hardware. Who's going on the lamb this weekend? Uh, I mean, I, well, we know Josh Boyer's going on the lamb at some point this week, a poor defense coordinator for Miami. Uh, obviously, you know, I think Brendan Staley's going to stay on the lamb. I don't know mm-hmm. if he's going to get fired. I don't have any intel on that, but uh, you would think he would. Um, and I think probably we're going to see some coaching changes throughout the coaching you know, this offensive and defensive coordinator thing in terms of the teams that just lost. But I, I would say on the lamb specifically is our man, Brendan Staley, with that performance. I mean, he fired himself, Emmy. I mean, how else can you look at it? I think Brandon Staley might lead the league in on the lamb <laughs> this season. This guy has found his way on there uh, quite a bit. I mean, look, 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 I will say this. In talking to people around the league, you know, Staley is, you know, he's he thinks he knows, you know. Mm. And I, I was listening to the, the great. If anybody ever has a chance to listen to the great Charlie Munger, who was Warren, who is Warren Buffett's number two man, he said, "You always want to hire somebody who has a hundred and ten percent IQ, hundred and ten IQ, uh, who has a hundred and thirty IQ, but acts like he's got a hundred and ten IQ. The person you don't want to hire 
is the person that has 120 IQ that thinks he has 150. That's Staley. Well said. Fred Palermo, best game plan of the week. Giants, easy. Giants were easy. Yeah. I mean, they did exactly what they had to do. That's why I liked them. They were the number one pick. I took them in Russo's contest for 60 points. It was To me, I thought that was, a, that was an easy play. I was surprised that line never moved back towards the Giants. I was shocked, and I think a lot of it was because of Minnesota's ability in one-score games. Mm-hmm. But as we know, one-score games for fans at home, that, that means you're never in control of the game. Could go either way. If you don't know, now you know. I think the Bengals are beat up. I think the Bengals go into Buffalo, which leads into the line. The, the line opened at three and a half. It immediately shot up to four and a half. It's at four now. I'm sorry. It went to four. I think Buffalo, Cincinnati with an offensive line and some of the injuries, I think it's going to take a lot. I mean, I don't, I don't count Joe Burrow out. I think he's great. I love the kid. But to me, I, I think that it's going to be Buffalo going to have to beat Kansas City in a neutral field down there in Atlanta because I, I don't see how they can overcome all these injuries. The David Ogilvy biggest fraud of the week. I think the fact that Mike McDaniel's is sold as a, as an offensive as a run game guru. I've seen no evidence after after eighteen games. I've seen no evidence that I've watched the tape and said, "Wow, this guy really understands how to run the ball." And I'm not trying to be an asshole. Really, I'm not. Like I want to learn from somebody. Like I love watching Kyle's tape. Like I love watching certain coaches coach. I love watching game management. I love all that stuff. I want to learn more. But don't tell me a guy is a guru when there's no rue in the guru. There's no evidence for it. Uh, that's for damn sure. All right. None. Bef- before- None. It's because Ky- <laughs> he worked for Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> before we get out of here, let's get some early thoughts on the divisional round game. So we know three of the matchups. We're all waiting, of course, for the Cowboys-Bucks game to end. Winner of that will go to San Francisco Sunday evening. But uh, the first game at Wild Card Weekend, Saturday afternoon, Jaguars at the Chiefs at our show sponsor, DraftKings. Chiefs, eight-and-a-half-point favorites, total 51-and-a-half. What are your early thoughts on this one? Well, it's a rematch, and, and I think obviously the Chiefs will be rested, you know, so that the, the Jaguars know what they have to do. I just think to me, this will be a hard game for the, the Jags to kind of bounce, to play on the road. Mm-hmm. They can't make any mistakes, they got to play perfectly. I think eight's a lot of points, though. I mean, this is, there's a lot of points in there. I think eight's too many points. I haven't handicapped it, but my initial reaction was I thought it would be six and a half, seven. Mm. You know, I, I worry about the emotional hangover for Jacksonville, and it's kind of back-to-back weeks. You have the big win over Tennessee, and then yeah, now the big comeback win. Yeah, but don't you think that you, you could say that's momentum too, though, right? You could, yeah, you could say that. You could definitely say momentum. But, I mean, to erase a 27-point deficit, and, 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 and maybe they just are that kind of team. The cardiac cats, we should call yeah. them, since they've been that yeah, all season. Yeah, I mean, maybe they just, you know, they got this flow going to them. And, you know, I mean, look, they when you play a team once, you kind of have a sense of the speed of the game. Mm-hmm. You have a sense of what it's going to take. And, you know, I mean, you, you should be able to say, okay, here's how we have to play them differently. See, that's what I think what nobody gives. You know, yesterday, Martindale didn't really – Martindale didn't blitz. I mean, Martindale was taking away the screens. He was taking away Jefferson. He called the game yesterday. If you watch the tape this week, he called the game like a head coach calls should call a game. Same thing with Kafka. They called the game. Now, Caldwell can do that when he goes, i got to call this game. I can't get caught up in – them making this play or that play. Like, everybody was getting caught up in Hawkinson making a play when Hawkinson is never going to beat you. The guy's going to beat you is called J- J- Just Jason, uh, Justin, Justin Jefferson. Jefferson. That's who's going to beat you. The guy's going to beat you is Cook. 
Yeah, I think that's a good point. Giants at the Eagles, and our show sponsor, DraftKings Eagles, seven-point favorites, total 47.5, but I'm starting to see in the betting market movement towards Philadelphia, 7.5 seems to be the consensus. I think this will get to eight. I think, look, that when they played in the Meadowlands, forget the last game of the year, the Giants didn't try. When they played in the Meadowlands, you know, the Eagles dominated that game. Mm -hmm. However, this will be the first time I think the Giants are healthy. Now, do they have enough speed on defense to handle it? I don't think so. I think with Smith, the Dallas linebacker, I mean, they're not fast enough at linebacker. They're going to need to figure out how to get faster on defense to play Philly. I think it'll be a challenge. But we don't know where Hurts is. Is Hurts healthy? I don't know. That's a really good question. We'll see what Hurts is doing. Lane Johnson as well. He says that he's going to play, but uh, that abdominal injury. How effectively? Like like Bradbury played yesterday. Like, this is my point. Like, when a guy plays, is like Harrison Smith played. He was hurt. They they don't play well enough. God, Kendricks looks slow too out there. Eric Kendricks, the the, the Vikings linebacker. I mean, Minnesota's entire defense is slow. That's yeah. the problem. They, there's they, they play zone, and when you're when you play zone and you're slow, there's too many spaces to cover. The 49ers play zone and they're fast. Everything looks like it's a fucking tight throw. Yeah. Remember what? when your Mike linebacker's slow, your defense is slow. It just goes without saying. With that said, I bet Philadelphia last night. I laid seven with the Eagles. I, I just like the spot for them. I think they're getting healthier. I think Johnson will play. I think Hurts will be fine. Uh, coming off of the, the bye week, I think Philadelphia will win that game and win by margin. Bengals at the Buffalo Bills. You talked about this one. I'm a little bit worried about Cincinnati. Bengals, four-point underdogs, total 50.5. Are you more concerned with the Bengals' health or the Bills' turnovers and self-inflicted wounds? Well, I think that's going to help the Bengals, right? I'm worried about Buffalo. I don't think Buffalo played worth a darn the other day. I thought I was disappointed as hell with them on offense. I mean, Miami was playing with a bunch of backup offensive linemen, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were playing with Lester Cotton at right at left guard. He got cut by the Raiders. I mean, they were playing with Greg Little at left tackle. I was worried about Buffalo. I mean, like, is, are we sure Buffalo's good on defense? No, are we sure about that? They're not good on defense. And, and we keep saying that Josh Allen's not going to turn the ball over. But are we sure he's ever going to – like? He makes like he makes these elite plays that tend to lend you to think that you know that that you forget about some of the really shitty plays in the game. Like there's just not enough consistency. I think this offense is like I don't know who they are. To me, this offense is battleship football. Take a shot down the field, you know. Okay, five hit G three miss, you know, and then we'll, you know it's like it's too much. It's too scatic. It's hard to gauge and get confidence with them. Which team do you think gives San Francisco the better game? You, you kind of mentioned that, uh, hinted at it when we we're talking about the Bucks and the Cowboys. Dallas. But you think Dallas, no, Dallas? No question. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, let, Dallas does. Let's root for Dallas, and hopefully we get 49ers and Cowboys, like the old days in the divisional round. Yep, let's do it. <laughs> that does it for us this week on the podcast. Thank you to our producer, Elliot Bowman, on the ones and twos. As always, thank you to DraftKings. Thank you to Visa. And thank you to you guys for listening and watching. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Thank you, everybody. Thank, and thank Thing for making an appearance. In the, yeah. uh, and thank Thing for showing up. <laughs> <Da-na-na-na>. <laughs> there we go. Adam's family. We'll end it on that one. Thank you, Michael. I'll talk to you on Thursday, hopefully Thanks, after the Cowboys win. <laughs>